You're listening to a People of Note podcast, as heard on Classic 1027. Good evening and welcome to People of Note on Classic 1027. I'm Richard Cock and this program is broadcast every Sunday from 6 to 8 p.m. And in it I talk to someone who is a person of note and we listen to music of their choice. And I'm very happy to tell you that tonight I've got the Portuguese ambassador to South Africa, Manuel Carvalho, who is my guest. Good evening, Manuel. Good evening, Richard. Uh, thank you very much for uh, thinking I'm worthy of your attention. I, I've never thought myself of a person of note, but anyway, thank you. Are, you. you are definitely a person of note, and I think it's uh, very appropriate that you're a guest on this program. And I just, perhaps we could start, I mean, everyone knows what an ambassador is, but I think the ambassador of Portugal in South Africa is actually quite an interesting post because, after all, it was the Portuguese who were the first Europeans to round the Cape and the first, I think, the first Europeans probably to set foot in the Cape. Is that correct? For all we know, yes. Uh, I, I noticed that uh, that you mentioned the Cape because you know that we gave two names to the Cape. The first name was uh, was given by one of our biggest sailors, uh, Bartolomeu Dias, uh, who called it aptly the Cape of Storms. If you go there, you see why. Uh, but then, because this was one of the greatest feats in in seafaring, uh, when he reported that he had connected, in fact, Atlantic to the Indian Ocean to uh, to King Manuel, my my namesake, uh, uh, he, the king said, "No, no, this is not the." This is not the Cape of Storm, this is the Cape of Good Hope. We found the opening. Yeah, but in fact there are quite a lot of Portuguese names connected to the coast of South Africa. I mean, there's uh, Cape Agulhas, what we say Agulhas, but I think that's a Portuguese word. Uh, is it Agulhas? Yeah. Agulhas, no, Agulhas, yes. sorry. Yes, and, and Natal. Well, and, Natal. And, and, and Natal, yes. yes. There's a story behind each of those names. Yeah, and even Saldana Bay. Uh, yes, it was Antonio de Saldana, I think his uh, name Antonio was. de Saldana, yes. Yeah. So there are a lot of Portuguese con co connections and contexts in South Africa, and there still are, because I think uh, the Portuguese community here is quite active and quite large. Yes, indeed. I mean, we, we reckon some 200,000 Portuguese in South Africa, um, and uh, plus... Uh, well, uh, an undefined number of uh, Portuguese descendants. I mean, people uh, who, have, who don't have the, the, I mean, the papers anymore, but are of Portuguese, uh, of Portuguese origin. And uh, so, I mean, yes, it's quite a sizable community. But I mean, look, I mean, Portugal has been, uh, we jumped into the water uh, back in the 15th century, um, way before anybody else in Europe do that. In fact, way, before anybody else could sail the big wide ocean, the Atlantic Ocean and uh, the Pacific Ocean. That's what basically the, the two oceans we, uh, uh, I mean, we had the, our reasons to, to do that. Uh, in a way, Africa had come to us invading uh, and enslaving in a, in a way. Uh, and so at a certain point, we found that uh, we could bring the war back to the other side. That this back and forth across the Mediterranean. That's how it started. I mean, yeah. this back and forth across the Mediterranean continues up until today. But yeah. once being seaborne, there are no borders, you know. Yes, and and this was one of the important things was that your your countrymen in those days were very experienced sailors and were developing new sailing methods. I think. 
Absolutely. I mean, uh, reaching Japan, which is the furthest point we reached, go sailing east because then sailing west, uh, Ferdinand uh, Magellan, uh, I mean, reached the Philippines and round in, in fact, rounded the world. Um, all of that would not happen by by by, by miracle, uh, default Catholic that we are. But I mean, we we have to we have to help ourselves. And uh, so I mean, it took a lot of uh, of uh, discoveries. Uh, from the stars to the use of the compass to map making to uh, sailing uh, boat uh, boat building um, so uh, cultural capacity to uh, to interact it is it is not often known that I mean we were the very first European country to have established dip full diplomatic relations with African countries uh, we celebrated a few years back 500 years of uh, diplomatic relations with Ethiopia we are the very first European country to have is sent ambassadors and received ambassadors from Ethiopia. And Ethiopia is the longest established uh, African state. That's amazing. Uh, yeah. Or Benin, for instance. We received ambassadors from Benin in the court in the Renaissance in the 16th century. Benin, as a state in Africa, would send an ambassador to Lisbon. And so that cultural capacity is also was also very important because, mind you, going from Lisbon to uh, Japan, uh, we around the world, we met all kinds of people, and we had to be able to interact with those. So uh, uh, those intercultural skills were beyond this. I mean, the sailing and the map making and the uh, stars uh, mapping and so on and so forth. The cultural capacity was very important. Well, and we're going to come to your first choice of music now, which is yours, not uh, not necessarily anything to do with Portugal. And it's the Beatles of all things. And we're going to discuss your choices of music. Let's listen to She Loves You, because uh, the, the world of diplomacy is all about sharing the love, really. And here, this is the Beatles. That was uh, the Beatles with She Loves You. And I'm quite interested to know why you chose that one. Oh, well, it's a very, uh, very deep personal memory. Uh, I, um, I'm the fifth of six brothers and sisters. My, uh, my eldest sister is 12 years older than myself, and I was born round number in 1960. So my, 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 my brothers and sisters I mean, were teenagers in the 1960s. I mean, and uh, in my house, in the house of my parents, uh, it was a big house with a big family, um, my teenager brothers were singing and swinging and dancing to uh, the tunes of the 1960s. So uh, uh, I grew up listening to, well, the Beatles, uh, the Rolling Stones, the I mean, and all the other bands yeah. that pop bands that uh, that appeared at the time, mostly English, um, also some French, because at the time in Portugal, I mean, I grew up in Portugal in Lisbon. Um, and uh, in those days, uh, the cultural, the foreign cultural influences that came to uh, to, to to my country and to to my parents' houses house um, were basically English and French. Uh, and I I grew up listening to those. She loves you is the, probably the very oldest tune I can remember. Oh, that's amazing. Uh, and interestingly enough, in those days, nineteen uh, sixties. The Iberian Peninsula, Spain and Portugal were really somewhat cut off from the rest of Europe as opposed to now where you're very much part of Europe. What was it like growing up in Portugal in the 1960s? Oh, it was a very, I'd say, a very small, quiet world. I mean, my, uh, I, mean uh, uh, I, uh, I come from a, 
well-connected family. Uh, my my father was an engineer and a uh, university professor. Um, my uncles were into business, so I mean, I went into uh, good schools. Uh, no, we didn't have a notion of what was going on in the world, uh, and uh, but it was a very quiet, small place, of course, defined by the views of the time and by the by the views of the regime. I mean, I mean there was censorship. There was, uh, uh, I mean, it was not a democracy. You could not uh, express all your opinions, and for some, you the police would come to see you. Um, but I mean, as long as you know how to uh, to navigate those waters, you could have a quiet life, which I I, I did. Um, I uh, uh, as I grew up, I started to interrogate myself uh, about uh, things that I saw and the, the reasons why we're doing this or that. Uh, but I must say that uh, change came to Portugal when I was 14 with uh, with uh, with the revolution on uh, on uh, on the 25th of April uh, 1974, and there we moved from being a conservative right wing colonialist uh, uh, regime into almost becoming the Cuba of Western Europe. So uh, we swinged we swung from fascism to communism in in a matter of uh, a few months. Until then, uh, I mean, the people were not happy with that, and uh, so I mean that there was a resistance to uh, to that development too. And in November '75, uh, I mean, uh, uh, there was a, a well uh, a counter coup, if you want to call it that way, and brought back to uh, the country to a democratic path where it has remained. I mean, and I think it was, uh, I mean, to the to the to the good of all the people. I mean, the, the change in the in, the, in my country, in my lifetime, is absolutely stunning. Um, uh, from, I mean, we are, as you say, a, a modern, vibrant, uh, connected uh, country of Western Europe. And uh, uh, I mean, now with COVID, not quite as not as before. But uh, we used to have twenty million visitors uh, back in 20, uh, 2019. Yeah. So uh, people uh, were attracted, and I think people will be attracted again. To Portugal, Portugal is reopening right now. Uh, the, the, with I mean, uh, having survived COVID more or less well, I mean, no one did it uh, completely well, of course, but I mean, somehow we have managed. Uh, we are slowly reopening the economy, and we just reopened uh, uh, the gates for tourists, and we hope to have uh, a better, if not a good, uh, tourism season this year. Yeah. Well, and it was a matter of following the mood of the country in those days. And your next choice is Glenn Miller, and it's In the Mood. That was Glenn Miller with In the Mood, a very famous piece by Glenn Miller and his big band, the choice of Manuel Carvalho, the Portuguese ambassador in South Africa, who's my guest on People of Note. Manuel, if I may call you Manuel, what, what took you into diplomacy? Did you study at a university? Well, um, I was always curious to look uh, outside the window, if you will. Uh, the window meaning the country. And um, I was, uh, as I said, I, I did go to good schools and uh, where we were taught in those days uh, that there was a world outside. Um, I did um, I'm basically Catholic schools um, and... Um, I remember being taken uh, with uh, by the Jesuit priests back in 1972 
to Paris, um, I was 12 years old. My first trip outside the country without my family. I went with a, with a, with a, with a, with my, uh, my school. And it was a very big eye-opening moment. Uh, and in, in fact, I, to me, it was uh, the first experience of seeing a democracy and um, where people and uh, uh, where people uh, could express their views and uh, and uh, not be arrested for that and uh, all kinds of views. Because if you think of France in 1972, that was already after the May of 68, which for people in South Africa, I don't know if you realize how important that was in Europe. Uh, the, 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 the pricing, the, the questioning of, uh, everything by the French students back in, in 68. Um, so I went to see that and, uh, I, my eyes became, I mean, uh, wider open to, uh, to, uh, to the notion that there, there are things outside. I also, um, uh, like to speak languages. Um, I can speak a few, uh, and, um, and also that, I mean, added to the interest in seeing things uh, abroad. On top of that, there's a special uh, special personal note here because um, in, in the course of uh, um, in the course of the, of the Portuguese revolution, properties were being uh, occupied um, and uh, occupied without compensation as you as you may expect in the course of a revolution. Uh, and um, my family had a very small Hotel uh, in the on the coast in Algarve in the south, and I was 15 years old in, uh, in that period. And there was a moment where uh, uh, that property was going to be, uh, I mean, taken, seized, occupied, whatever name you want to to uh, to, to 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 call it. And uh, my father, with uh, with the numerous family uh, that he had said, no way, we're going to stand our ground and we're going to be there and uh, we take, I mean, we, we won't allow that to happen. And so down we went, um, uh, and I was myself, as I say, 15, and, um, and we took care of the hotel. Uh, I mean, the, 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 the members of the staff that, uh, I mean, were uh, unhappy ended up leaving, and we, we, and we suddenly found ourselves, as a family, with a hotel to run. Uh, and so, uh, my father said, I mean, you go to the kitchen, you go to the rooms, you go to the reception, you go to the, to the restaurant. Uh, my task was the reception. You're someone who can deal with people. Well, I, I, I discovered that at 15, you know, uh, <laughs> I mean, it, 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 it was not planned. It happened. Uh, but yes, indeed, I think I could manage the reception uh, young boy at 15 and, uh, could, uh, did that. And, uh, and, and we had foreign guests. And so I had to, to, to deal with them. So, uh, so in a way, that experience started my travels even without leaving my country. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and that uh, uh, reinforced my interest and curiosity for what was going on beyond, uh, beyond our borders. I must say that, I mean, uh, I mean, I had already, meanwhile, the first trip was uh, abroad was 72 uh, to, to France with a, with a school, with the Jesuits. Uh, with the Jesuits. Uh, but then, by a very strange twist of events, uh, I did a trip also in 73, that was all of that before the Portuguese Revolution, 74. Um, and I went for the very first time to Central Europe, to Germany, Austria, and we did, and that is very, very few people who did that, but I did that with my elder brothers, as, as I told you, my brothers are much older than me. 
um, we crossed the Iron Curtain and we went to Bratislava in Czechoslovakia. And so I do have a first, I mean, uh, a first-hand memory of what it meant to uh, cross the Iron Curtain, to have machine guns pointed at you, to have uh, an all, uh, another world. Uh, I had that experience at, at, uh, at 13. Um, uh, to have another world where, I mean, things look uh, looked a lot uh, more drab, more, I mean, not well kept as it was the rule in the West, in Europe at the time. Yeah. Uh, so, so I started building up a number of foreign experiences uh, that coalesced into my interest in, in, uh, in an international career. In those days, there were not that many Portuguese companies that were internationalized. So my only option was, in fact, diplomacy. So when I did join law school, uh, the plan was already to go into diplomacy. And uh, from the beginning, I mean, that, that decision was taken uh, roughly when I was 16, 17, to be, to be a diplomat, which That's, ended yeah. up being my career. Fantastic. And one of the places so you went... There was a clear line in my life. I, I mean, I, let me tell you, I, felt, uh, uh, I would have also liked to be an architect, which was another, I mean, a totally different path. And I had, the, but, uh, my life came to a fork there and I took the diplomacy uh, yeah. route. Fantastic. And one of the places you went to serve in after you'd studied law was in Belgium. And your next choice is a piece by Jacques Brel. Uh, let's listen to it and then you can tell us about uh, Belgium and your time there. This is Jacques Brel. That was a piece by Jacques Brel, uh, Le Plat. I, you'll have to pronounce it for me. Le Plat Pays, is it? Le Plat Pays, the flat country. The flat country. Le Plat means the flat country. And it's the choice of Manuel Carvalho, the Portuguese ambassador in South Africa, who's my guest. Just tell us about uh, the flat country. Well, the flat country is maybe geographically rather flat, especially in the north in Flanders. Uh, the south is the Ardennes, is not that flat. Um but uh, to me, Belgium came because I was involved as a diplomat uh, in the European process. Um, with uh, that irony that, uh, that I mean, big bureaucracies have of uh, not attending to people, people's preferences. When I joined the ministry, I, I said that I wanted to serve uh, and to be, uh, I mean, to, to, uh, to, to follow my interest in African affairs, which, in fact, I ended up doing in South Africa. Um, but, uh, and, uh, and therefore I found myself the next day when we, I mean, as a young candidate, uh, we were assigned departments. I found myself in the European department. Um, so you ask for Africa, you get Europe. That, that was it. Uh, and uh, that was the beginning of 22 years of European involvement, uh, from, uh, 87 to, uh, to 2009. And those were very important years. And, uh, because... Again, we start 87 with uh, Europe divided, uh, uh, the Euro did not exist, uh, the, all the quarrels between Margaret Thatcher and uh, Jacques Delors, and I mean, a lot of, uh, I mean, a lot of uh, uh, life, but in this confined space. And then in 89, we have, um, we have uh, the, I mean, the, the collapse of the Soviet bloc. Um, and a fundamental change in European affairs. Uh, and then a number of treaties, then you have the Euro, then you have a political union, you have the creation of the European Union, um, all of that. And I, in different positions in, over the years, over those, those 22 years, 
uh, I was following those and f following those files, and uh, apparently the ministry was satisfied because they kept calling me for those tasks. Uh, and that brought me all over those 22 years to, to Brussels. Uh, and so it was not only that uh, I was there for the European process, because I also started to, uh, to uh, know uh, that small but very rich and interesting country, Belgium, um, over a period of over, uh, more than two decades. So that, that left a very big imprint. Uh, I can speak French. I can understand a bit of Flemish. Uh, I therefore can, I can gather what more, more or less people are saying in Afrikaans. Um, my daughters grew up there. I mean, my, my eldest daughter's uh, best friend is a Belgian girl. I mean, they've been friends for ever since. So, uh, yes, we have a connection uh, with uh, the flat country. Yeah. Not that flat. Yeah, but it's very interesting that uh, your uh, career kept you there for so long because often diplomats move rather quickly from place to place, but you seem to have stayed there a long time. Well, the ministry found interest in my contribution. That's, that's, the, only yeah. thing I, that's the only thing that I can tell you because in the course of those years, I've done quite different things, but always inside that bubble um, from being the, I mean, the, the presidency coordinator. And by the way, I mean, Portugal is now the, the f for the fourth time at this very moment, Portugal has the presidency of the Council of the European Union. I was involved in the three previous uh, mandates uh, directly. I was at the coordinating unit in Lisbon in, uh, in 92. I was in the coordinating, right, probably the most important one, position, uh, uh, also coordinating in Brussels uh, in 2000. And then I was uh, the press spokesman um, in the 2007. Uh, and I, I learned to fill the questions of over 1,000 journalists because uh, the press corps in Brussels is the biggest in the world. Yeah. Now, uh, your next choice of music is uh, something more familiar to our listeners, uh, which is the Symphony Number no. 40 by Mozart. And I'm just interested to know, did you ever uh, play an instrument or sing in a choir? What Did you have any musical involvement? Well, uh, um, at school, we had a choir. Uh, I wasn't, I mean, my, 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 immodestly, if I can talk, talk about my talents, lead me otherwise. I, for some time, I had the idea of playing some musical instrument, but somehow it never came about. Uh, I sang in the choir, but I was never picked by the maestro for any <laughs> meaningful position. Apparently, um, she did not like my voice. Um, so I, I took up other pursuits. Uh, uh, as I, I mean, my, I don't regret... Uh, as Edith Piaf would say, je ne, je ne regrette rien. I don't regret anything. Uh, I would have liked to have played or sung, but uh, it didn't came that way. Still, I like music very much, and music is a very important part and a very important company uh, in my life. So here comes the first movement of the Symphony No. 40 by Mozart. That was the first movement of Symphony No. 40 by Mozart, the choice of Manuel Carvalho, who's the Portuguese ambassador in South Africa. Uh, you're listening to People of Note on Classic 1027. This program is broadcast every Sunday from 6 to 8. And as you can hear, I talk to someone who has an interesting story to tell in this program. And tonight we've got the Portuguese ambassador in South Africa. And his next choice in music is quite an interesting one because 
uh, flash mobs have become quite popular these days. I'm just interested to know, Manuel, why you chose a flash mob of Beethoven 9. Well, Beethoven, the 9th, is probably one of the the biggest pieces. I have a special preference for two of uh, Beethoven's uh, symphonies, and Beethoven, to me, is probably the paramount uh, classical composer, along with Mozart, but... Uh, uh, but Beethoven, yes, certainly. Um, uh, and the ninth, I mean, for the for the for the the rich blend for uh, for the for the, the the stirring emotions that that come come with that. And then it tops with the fourth movement, uh, the Ode to Joy. Um, that uh, uh, is not only a stirring musical piece, but it also became. The European anthem, um, and uh, and so even though Mozart was uh, sorry, Beethoven was a person of his time, and he was very much involved in uh, in the in the big changes that uh, that uh, that happened in uh, Europe in the beginning of the nineteenth century. So witness all that. Uh, so that Beethoven uh, Beethoven was not unaware of the political changes and the political context. Uh, but uh, the fact that his piece, the, the, the fourth movement of the Ninth Symphony, was chosen, uh, rightly so, uh, to be the European anthem, gave it a much more contemporary political meaning. Um, it is, uh, it is a, a, a symbol of uh, the, the will of the peoples in Europe, and all in all, uh, with one exception, no one uh, wanted to leave, and we still have more that want to enter. Um, and uh, the the two symbols, the the, the blue uh, the blue flag with the yellow stars, and uh, and this uh, this anthem, symbolize uh, uh, this beautiful project that has transformed the most bloody uh, continent uh, uh, into the most peaceful one. Uh, and that is something to celebrate. To have it an, on a flash mob uh, mode uh, is uh, a good tribute to this because it means you can play it in the street and people react to it. Yeah, it's one of those tunes that just keeps coming back. It's quite incredible. Now, one of the other things um, that you've done uh, is to look at in one of your choices is to have Portuguese composers and mm -hmm. uh, one of the uh, interesting pieces you've chosen is by I, I don't know if my pronunciation is good by Carlos Seixas is it yes uh, and yes. so just tell us a bit about Portuguese music because it's famous for uh, Fado we most people know something about Fado but not many people know about the more classical side of Portuguese composers well, I mean, uh, Portugal does not have uh, uh, the classical tradition to be compared with, uh, with say, uh, German lands or, or Russia, and we may speak of Russia in a moment. Um, still, of course, in the in the uh, in the in, in the Portuguese court. In the 18th, uh, 19th century, music was played, and uh, and some composers um, did leave uh, a mark. One of the one of those is exactly Carlos Seixas. Carlos Seixas is um, uh, 
he's not a well-known figure and uh, there is a lot of mystery about his life but he did leave those uh, those uh, a number of uh, of um, harpsichord concertos um like the one that I've chosen uh and they they are popular and that continue to be played one of the um, one of the um, one of the interesting uh, stories about portuguese music uh, is um our king john the 4th who was himself a composer and um and um uh, uh and for at least i know that some musicologists uh assigned to him uh, a very very famous christmas piece uh, adesti fidelis um that could have been then transferred into england and became uh, uh faithful yeah um and that is uh that is uh an interesting piece it is well known that uh, our king john the 4th was a composer uh and uh, that is but that goes back into the uh 17th century um and then that a piece from the portuguese court to travel to england is not impossible because because of the connection between portugal and england um we uh, have uh introduced uh, tea to the english phrases um and uh also through the court through the, through the court connections let's just, uh, let's just, so music yeah. can be can have been transferred it's not impossible that would have come from portugal let's listen to the part of this harpsichord concerto by carlos seixas the choice of manuel carvalho that was part of a harpsichord concerto by carlos seixas a portuguese composer uh, the choice of Manuel Carvalho, my guest, and you were talking about King John the Fourth, and I've uh, I've sung some pieces by King John the Fourth of Portugal because he wrote choral music also, which is just an interesting yes, byline. Yeah. But uh, oh, let me know that. Okay, but, yeah. But one of uh, one of your postings uh, was in the Far East, and and I mean the Portuguese empire was once very extensive you had uh, brazil was portuguese and still speaks portuguese you had there were places in africa where the portuguese were settled and also in the far east and macau was one of those places just uh, tell us a bit about the link to macau and uh, the connections to the chinese uh well um uh, we mentioned a moment ago that uh, uh once you are seaborne, uh, there are no borders. So uh, we uh, we start in Portugal. We say the Atlantic, the Indian Ocean, and then we went into the Far East. We reached uh, uh, we reached China uh, in fifteen thirteen, uh, and uh, we reached Japan in fifteen forty three. Um, and since then, we have been present in those in those parts. Um, we uh, didn't conquer anything uh, beyond Malacca. I mean, when you talk about the empire, you got to be careful with the word um, because uh, beyond Malacca, uh, I mean, we had to act by diplomacy, and uh, we, did, we didn't. How rich wouldn't go that far? Uh, Portugal was a small country, um, one million people. So, and uh, all this that uh, overseas presence was done by. I mean, the estimate is roughly one one hundred thousand people, all of it. So, I mean, to populate or cover or uh, establish a presence that spans, uh, I mean, from Japan into Brazil and Europe and Africa and uh, the, the Indian Ocean, uh, one hundred thousand people. That's not too many. No. 
Um, and that had to do, I mean, and the, the strategy for that was to engage with the local people. Uh, and so wherever we went, we did the, the, the local trades, we did, uh, and we engaged a conversation with, uh, with local people. Um, and, um, and that created a new, new, uh, a new, new fusion before the, the, the concept existed, new fusion societies, uh, mixed societies. One of the ways you see that is in cuisine, for instance. Because wherever we went, we created a new variation of our cuisine with the local ingredients. So, uh, so uh, I mean, to to talk about uh, the most famous uh, dish in South Africa, which I'm not sure it's the best, but it is the most famous, uh, the PBB chicken, is a combination of chicken from Europe uh, with uh, uh, African ingredients and PBB coming from India, and that was created in Mozambique. Um, uh, and just but while, then we have... while we're on that subject of cuisine let's just talk yeah. about the portuguese language for a moment because there is a sort of uh it i think is the term lusophone for where portuguese is spoken throughout the world yeah. is is quite extensive i mean uh, uh portuguese is depending how you count uh uh the fifth or sixth most spoken language in the world uh it is the biggest in the southern hemisphere um it is one of the uh i mean uh, most rapidly expanding um, it is one of the the, the, the liveliest uh, in social networks and, and uh, today, um, and um, and it is spoken uh, all around the world, a little bit like English, in fact. Yeah. Um, but at, at uh, um, uh, it's spoken uh, uh, in Portugal, Brazil, Angola, Mozambique, uh, Timor, Macau, in China, uh, and then. Uh, uh, Cape Verde, Guinea-Bissau, uh, and Saint-Domé. Uh, I believe I didn't forget any, any of those. Yeah. Uh, there is a revival of the Portuguese language in Goa, uh, in India. Um, and, um, well, it's, it's one of the Romance languages. It's uh, a Neo-Latin language, a variation uh, on the various, uh, I mean, uh, new forms that derive from the, the collapse of the Roman Empire. And one of the pieces you've chosen uh, is an original composition uh, called Macau. Let's listen to it, and then you can just tell us uh, about that. Here it comes, Macau. That was Macau, an original composition, I presume, from Macau. And is Macau itself a Portuguese word? Uh, well, Macau, no. Macau is a... Macau, it, there's a long, long uh, discussion on the origin of the term of Macau. Um, because probably it's a corruption of a Chinese word that people cannot quite figure out what it was. I mean, the Chinese call Macau Auman. Um, and, um, so it's, uh, uh, it's probably, I mean, a Macau, there are many theories about the name of Macau. Macau started appearing, uh, like the various, uh, various other names that, uh, that, uh, that we have in our ship logs. And uh, pilots would pass it on and so on and so forth. I mean, we, in a moment, I'd like to go back to Cape Agulhas, by the way. Um, uh, but uh, Macau started appearing uh, in... Uh, I mean, you, you, you come to a new place. You start to try to engage a conversation. People speak a strange sound. They, you try to point, what the name for this place? And they say something that sounds like Macau, and you write in Portuguese, spelling Macau. Okay, yeah. that's it. So we have a name. Uh, what what word that was? People still don't don't know. Fact is that we have remained in Macau for uh, four hundred fifty years. 
uh, Macau was not conquered. It was a place that we had, um, I mean, an informal agreement with uh, with the local Chinese authorities uh, to be there, and uh, it took a lot of um, diplomacy and uh, persuasion and uh, managing Chinese or dealing with Chinese or coming to uh, agreements, informal agreements with Chinese to maintain a, a territory in China uh, for which you could never celebrate a treaty. Macau was not conquered. Macau was a structured tolerance which, on the base of which we were able to build a city with streets and uh, squares and, uh, and monuments. Uh, but uh, the very first treaty we have with China on Macau is for the its uh, its uh, handover. Portugal never could reach an agreement on on Macau with China. That's a, an amazing feat of diplomacy. Yeah. And we arrived before the others, and we left be- after the others. Yeah. Uh, we left in '99. I was consul in Macau, and I was only the third of the series because before that we had a governor. Yeah. Amazing. And uh, on the on the musics, uh, one of the interesting things that to have to come to that fusion, uh, uh, we did fusion in cuisine, but there was also the attempt, and especially at uh, at uh, in the in the twentieth century, uh, to try to blend uh, uh, cultures, uh, east and west. And uh, Macau has, you know, China has a very long musical tradition, which is very different from ours. Uh, with very different uh, kinds of instruments. Uh, some some people, I mean, uh, Chinese opera may seem strident to our ears. Uh, then you get then you get a taste for it, um, and so you have those uh, those instruments that are very strident for a very simple reason that they they, um, they are meant to be played by traveling uh, uh, troops of uh, uh, performers that do the Chinese opera and uh, that play in open areas. Uh, where uh, the very um, um, the high pitch sound travel further, and that's, that's why the, on, the, on the Chinese orchestra you have uh, um, uh, so many high pitched uh, uh, instruments. But they were playing with the idea of using that for other kinds of music, and uh, that is where the, the a number of uh, directors of the Chinese uh, of the Macau Chinese Orchestra tried to do orchestrations for. Um, other kinds of music, and uh, they did some attempts, uh, including this one. Uh, note that they added uh, some violins for a little volume, because otherwise it would be uh, for the for the general balance of the sound. Uh, so it is a, uh, the Chinese uh, orchestra of Macau, but they, for these pieces they add violins. Now, one of the other uh, interesting musical experiences to come from Portugal is Fado. We mentioned it briefly earlier, but I see one of your next choices is actually uh, uh, about a Portuguese guitarist called uh, Carlos Paredes, and yeah. he, he is a, a Fado guitarist, I think. So just just tell us a bit about Fado and what it is and why it's important in Portugal. Well, uh, uh, Fado is not important in Portugal only. Port, uh, Fado is, uh, is World Heritage uh, classified by UNESCO. Um, it started as a popular street song uh, in, uh, in the Lisbon Harbour. And you got many theories on the origins of Fado uh, from, uh, um, I mean, from, from uh, Brazilian roots, from North African roots. Uh, it's a. Uh, it, it was a very uh, 
unstructured form of music um, that uh, appeared in in the harbor in Lisbon uh, that we know. I mean, Fado did not appear in other parts of the country. Fado appeared in the in the Lisbon in the Lisbon harbor area, where you started having. Um, I don't. I mean, not bars, not pubs. It was less, more, more popular, even more basic than that, uh, where that was played, or indeed on the street. Uh, it became, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it started as a low class uh, style of entertainment, um, and doesn't take much more than a voice, and one or two guitars. Normally, you have two guitars at least. Um, uh, so it's very, very, um, very, very, very simple, um, and uh, can be played on the street, can be played inside uh, inside the house. Uh, it's normally intimate. I mean, the origin or origins of father, even though then you have performers that can play to uh, to big uh, big halls, uh, but the father experience is something that you have inside the room with your friends uh, or inside a, a small restaurant, uh, also uh, in a, in a closed space. Um, and uh, uh, it, it became popularized in the in the in the turn of the of the beginning in the beginning of the twentieth century. Uh, also, somehow because through the various upheavals, uh, father could serve as also as, as I'm not making it political, but it, a space for freedom where people could uh, express things. Fado uh, is normally considered to be sad, not necessarily. You have, uh, I mean, almost danceable fados, depending on the on the on the on the tempo. Um, but uh, uh, the, the the most important thing about Fado was that it was so simple that uh, that it uh, it was free and uh, it started become structure when when we uh, when the, the 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 new state the the fascist regime in portugal in 1930s came to power uh it was policy to try to harness that and so it was at that time that uh, that you have the attempt to define the rules of father to uh to control it uh to subject the the lyrics to censorship um on the one hand, uh, you gain consistency and you lose spontaneity. That's what happened. Uh, but while you gain consistency, you can you can go broader and go beyond the the city harbor uh, neighborhoods. So it became could be recorded, could be uh, exported, uh, and um, and uh, that that uh, that became I mean. Uh, uh, the basis for uh, some uh, quite remarkable uh, performers, Carlos Paredes for one, but uh, Amai Rodriguez, which we may uh, also listen to in a moment, um, uh, whose voice uh, went basically to all the corners of the world. Well, let's listen first to uh, Carlos Paredes with Verdes Anos. That was Carlos Paredes with uh, Verdes Anos. He's a, f a paramount virtuoso of Portuguese guitar. Uh, and I just want to talk about Fado singers because we're hoping, if COVID allows us, to have a Fado singer in South Africa, uh, courtesy of you and the embassy. And that, we hope, will be happening on Saturday the 5th of June. 
at the Portuguese embassy in Pretoria. And uh, just tell us a bit about uh, that, uh, because um, Francisco, who's uh, hoping to come, is a Fado singer himself, or he's a guitarist. No, he's a Fado singer. Um, I hope COVID and, uh, I mean, the, the, the responsible behavior in, term, in, in, the, in, the, in view of the, of the pandemic and, 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 uh, and so on and so forth will allow us to uh, uh, bring this about. Um, Francisco is a, is a, is a player, a uh, singer I know well. Uh, he has performed uh, also before uh, at another embassy where I, where I was. Well, uh, he came to Saudi Arabia, in fact, when I was ambassador. Um, and um, and so I think if if the whole thing uh, comes about, people won't be dis- disappointed. Um, he comes from a musical family. Uh, uh, his mother was a father singer. Um, his uh, younger sister is a is a very famous uh, father singer uh, herself, um, and uh, and is quite eclectic. Uh, he is a voice. He got a very adaptable voice, uh, and uh, he goes through the various uh, styles of uh, a father. He also comes with uh, two uh, two guitar uh, players because father normally is played uh, with two guitars. Normally, you don't have um, for the. For the rhythm, you don't have uh, drums or percussion. It's the guitars themselves that do that. And you have two playing against each other or with each other somehow, uh, because you have the classical guitar and the Portuguese guitar. Um, the classical guitar is, of course, I mean, the, the, the instrument that everybody knows. The Portuguese guitar is uh, a, an instrument that is, uh, well, specific to us. People compare it with uh, uh, instruments that you find in other places. Um, one thing about uh, the, um, uh, the, the Portuguese guitar is that you only have to play you only play one chord at a time. So you you um, uh, so it's, it gives you a very uh, a very discreet uh, feeling about the, the 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 sound that comes out of it. It's quite re- quite remarkable, and uh, uh, the Portuguese guitar has been with us for roughly 100 years now. Um, and you have virtuoso players. Have we just uh, heard uh, Carlos Paredes? Carlos Paredes. We talk about the, the fado and being a rebellious song. Carlos Paredes was a communist uh, under the old regime, and uh, so uh, uh, fado was uh, um, is always. Uh, a force in itself, and um, and you have many people that play fado uh, from all points of view. You can have uh, uh, political visions. You have uh, you can talk about love. You can talk about joy. You can talk about family. You can talk about uh, just about anything. Well, I just want to say that that concert, we hope it's going to happen on June the 5th. And if you want information about it, then uh, I suggest you contact my office, uh, which is 011-447-9264. Or you can go to the website at uh, richardcock.co.za. That's www.richardcock.co.za. And you'll find information there. And we just hope it's going to happen. And you mentioned there... Manuel Carvalho is my guest on People of Note. He's the Portuguese ambassador. That many subjects are ca- uh, covered by Fado. And here's a piece called Barco Negro. 
This is discussing the difficult topic of slavery. That was Barco Negro, a fado about slavery, which seems an unusual subject, Manuel. Well, uh, uh, slavery has been uh, with humankind almost since the beginning of humankind, uh, unfortunately. Uh, it is something that we have experienced, as I told you a moment ago, uh, the reasons we jumped into the water and come into Africa was that uh, the, the, the southern parts of Portugal were being raided for slaves uh, from North Africa. Uh, and um, and uh, uh, so we know the problem from the receiving end. Uh, then we practice it ourselves. So and then something that we have to make uh, um, peace with in, in terms of history. Um, uh, but uh, uh, it's a subject to be discussed. And as as you see, uh, the, the greatest of the father singers and probably were the, the greatest of the Portuguese voices um, was discussing that in the I mean in the nineteen. 70s, I think that uh, that uh, that father is from 1970s. I have to look at exactly yeah. when when uh, Mali Rodriguez was singing it. Um, so yes, it is subject that uh, can and should be discussed. Um, what shall I say? Yes, absolutely, yeah. needs yeah, to be discussed. And and interestingly enough, well, that was Barco Negro. And just watching uh, various newscasts recently, I I see there's uh, not. Portuguese necessarily, but a sort of invasion of those Spanish enclaves in the north of Africa by Moroccans and others desperate to get to Europe now. So that uh, link with Africa is still uh, a strong one. People from Africa still want to get to Europe via Spain or Portugal or wherever. Mm -hmm. Have you got quite a big uh, expatriate population in Portugal? Uh, yes, um, the, I, I, I'm struggling with the exact exact figure. Um, uh, quite big. We are, I mean, between five and ten percent of the of the resident population is uh, is a foreign origin in Portugal. We integrate on the whole rather well, um, but uh, uh, which means that as soon as people get integrated, they disappear in, from the statistics as uh, from, uh, I mean, coming from abroad. Um, we uh, we have had a policy of not asking persons for their, uh, I mean, ethnicity or yeah. uh, so when you are Portuguese, you are Portuguese, full stop. Yeah. Um, and um, but uh, but I mean, we keep on having connections uh, with all parts of the world. My prime minister is quite apparently, if you look at the picture from India, uh, and, uh, and and you can see that we have uh, ministers that come either from India, others from Africa, all Portuguese, as I say. But I mean, if you look at the person, you can tell uh, more or less where people do come from. Uh, yes, we have a, we are a very diverse country, and and of course, with your strong connection with Brazil, we had to choose a piece which is influenced by Brazil and its wonderful. Latin American feel. Uh, your next choice, which we're going to listen to now, is Desafinado. That was Desafinado by Joao Gilberto and Stan Getz with Tom Jobim. And uh, I think Brazil, Brazilian music has also had a big influence on Portuguese music, well, and on world music, to be sure. Uh, and I just, I interrupted you earlier. You wanted to say something about Agulhas. Oh yeah, um, 
I mean, about those words in the in the Portuguese language. Well, desafinado for you to know means out of tune, which I when I listen to that song, I don't feel that that is out of tune. But uh, apparently, the author was more demanding. Um, um, Cabagulhas. That's quite. Uh, that's the story that uh, that I take special pride in. Um, we gave. Uh, we 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 uh, were once we rounded the Cape of Good Hope. And uh, we started sailing uh, to India every year. Uh, basically, at least two fleets passed by, uh, passed by the South African coast um, every year, uh, in and out. And um, and uh, I mean on the uh, outbound journey and the, the inbound journey. And so we were taking notes and uh, mapping the coast and giving it uh, names, uh, the coast of Natal, because Vasco da Gama came uh, came there in uh, Natal, meaning Christmas. And Vasco da Gama landed there in uh, on uh, the 25th of uh, December 1497, uh, uh, and we gave uh, the various names, and you have largely a story uh, behind each of those names. On Agulhas, Agulhas means it's a it's the word we still use today, and it's properly spelled. I mean Agulhas. Uh, it's the 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 word for needles, needles with which you can sew your button or and that is where it comes from the needle of the compass because uh, uh, it's it's called Cape Agulhas is Cape Needles because uh, our pilots observed and put that uh, on their logbooks um, that at that point the the needle of the compass points due north rather than magnetic north that's an observation that was made Pilots by pilot, journey by journey, in the in the first half of the 16th century, and uh, and so they they said there was a brotherhood of the pilots, and they shared notes, and they passed the notice from among themselves that at that given promontory, you adjust your needles, okay. and so that promontory started being marked in our uh, logbooks uh, as the Cape of the Needles. The Cape Agulhas. Yeah, what an interesting story. And that has remained because then, I mean, quite frankly, the, our maps were stolen by the Dutch uh, at the end of the 16th century. Um, and uh, when the Dutch came here, and that's the beginning of the second part of, of another part of, uh, of the history of these parts, uh, when the Dutch came here, they came with our maps and our, our, um, and our, our logbooks. And so they basically retain the names that have been given and have been established in, uh, in by um, among the sailing community for roughly one century when that happened. That's I mean, amazing. we have been sailing these waters for a hundred years before the Dutch came. Well, not uh, coming ashore mostly. Yeah, we're not coming ashore mostly in South Africa. Yeah, and now we've uh, just got time for your final choice, which is a, a tribute to your your hometown, Lisbon. And uh, let's listen to it. It's called Lisboa Menina e Moça. That was, and I hope my pronunciation is good, Lisboa Menina e Moça. Is that correct? It's beautiful. And uh, I, I appreciate the way you pronounce the C, which is exactly the, the way it should be, like uh, <laughs> the C with the Cedil. Uh, uh, and uh, uh, so, I mean, your, your accent is, per is perfect. And that was the final choice of my guest in People of Note, uh, Manuel Carvalho, who is the... 
uh, Portuguese ambassador in South Africa. And I just want to say again that uh, we are hoping to have a concert on June the 5th in the garden of the embassy in Pretoria. And if you want further information on that, and if you would like to come to the concert, and we hope it will still be held because of COVID, either you phone my office, 011-447-9264, or go to the website, www.richardcock.co.za. And that's where you can find information and booking details for that concert. And there will be a Fado singer uh, there, Francisco, who comes all the way from Portugal. And it just remains for me to say thank you for a very interesting conversation with Manuel Carvalho. Thank you, Manuel, for coming on the program. My pleasure. Um, and, uh, well, I look forward to, uh, to that concert and to uh, the many concerts that, uh, that you keep on organizing and to which I hope I still continue to, uh, to be able to go. And thank you and congratulations. Thank you. And thank you to all our listeners at home for tuning in. Uh, don't forget, I'll be back each weekday night with full works from 7 to 10, except on a Friday when it's 6 to 9. But I hope you have a great week ahead. And we look forward to your company on all the programs here on Classic 1027.